Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we're going to be talking project management. I also want to say thank you to our sponsor before we begin the show. Thank you, PMO Squad. A milestone birthday for them this week. It was their seventh birthday on Tuesday. As president of that company, I can say it's been an amazing journey as we've continued to grow. And I think back, uh, reflect over 25 years or so of project management work, how I started out as an accidental project manager, now as a, a judge on the Global PMO Awards leader of the PMO squad, of course, hosting this show, uh, and also co-founder of VPMMA, the Veterans Project Manager Mentoring Alliance, 501c3 nonprofit supporting veterans as they uh, transition into project management career. So uh, happy birthday to me and the team. Certainly thank you to all of the team members, the mentors, the clients we've had over the seven years. We're looking forward to what the next seven bring. And uh, and also looking forward to this show. We're very fortunate to have two fantastic guests with us today. Uh, I'd like to welcome Michael O'Connor and James Foley. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Michael, let's give you a moment here just to say hello to our listeners, introduce yourself, and let everybody know a little bit about you. Great. Thanks, Joe. Uh, hello. My name is uh, Michael O'Connor, and I am the Director of Strategy and Project Management with Medtronic in the Corporate Science and Technology Group in Minneapolis, Minnesota at our operational headquarters. I know that's a mouthful, but um, Medtronic is a very large company. We're uh, roughly 90,000 people in about 160 countries, and we are the largest medical device manufacturer in the world. I've been with Medtronic for 17 plus years. I've worked in a variety of roles, mainly always in project program management. And I have 34 years of professional uh, experience and almost 30 of those in the medical device field. And I should say that all of that has been in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I also have a PhD in civil engineering or majoring in project management, graduate degrees in project management, technology management, uh, an MBA, and I have my undergrad in business with a minor in project management. So as you can tell, project management is a passion of mine. And I'm certified in a variety of different areas, but I'm a, a PMP, a PGMP, I'm certified through IPMA, I'm certified through IPM, and a host of others that I, I won't go into. Um, but it's great to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. And also, James Foley. Welcome, James. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm James Foley, the Chief Technology Officer from Botanisol Analytics. And unlike Medtronics, we are not the largest uh, <laughs> medical device company in the world, uh, or not even close. But we're a start it, or we are a startup here in Phoenix, Arizona. And what we're doing is we're taking a patent from the University of Arizona and are making the world's greatest Raman spectrometer. What does that allow us to do? That allows us to quantify and qualify molecules using a light source, which had previously never been used at atmospheric pressure and temperature. It's a very unique item that we have out there, and that's what we're bringing forward. Now, I myself have uh, over 30 years of project management, a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, 
uh, let's just say, more than 30 years ago. Yeah. And starting off with uh, project management, when I didn't even know it was project management, when I went to the Navy, got assigned a ship, and got assigned not only just to do routine maintenance and uh, projects that way, but also to bring on new systems on board ship where the civilians had their project managers. Well, the military, we just had to do it ourselves. So we learned to, ah, okay, what are our requirements? What are our needs? What do we need to do? Assign the resources. And from there, went from the Navy. I went to American Express, worked there as a director for about 17 years thereabouts and worked on their credit card authorization systems and the web systems. Uh, after that, I started working in the medical device community. I worked with a couple of startups, a couple of large ones, and now I'm on my own startup uh, today. Uh, project management, I'm going to probably give a perspective of, I've already done it in the large corporations. Now I'm doing it as a small business, dealing with the large corporations. And there's a little bit different perspective uh, when you're the small company working with the larger companies. And it to be a little bit more, and I'm going to use the word agile, but I don't mean agile development. Lower A. Yes, yeah. lower A. Uh, we just have to be able to be a little bit different in order to work and help our communications with our customers. So what we're bringing on is we're doing all these things. Now, I must admit, you go, hey, what's that Raman spectrometer? What can you do with that thing? Uh, just to share one of the things that we have been brought on, on and potentially may be doing is working with the coronavirus and creating a better, a better detection system so that patients can get the results in a much shorter time period. Well, that's certainly uh, timely for what we have going on, and it's great to see we've kind of covered both ends of the medical device community here between the two of you guests, and we've got a client here locally as well within that space, so I think we can have a great conversation around a a really important industry in, in the U.S. today. So thank you both for joining us. So let's jump into it. Michael, you had mentioned a little bit about, obviously, you're with Medtronics, but I'd like to talk about the grassroots effort over there at Medtronics with enhancing project management rigor with your innovation work. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, so we um, at Medtronic were very successful, done a lot of great things. We actually purchased uh, Covidian five years ago and uh, integrated them into our company and and went from 40-some thousand people to 90,000 people. And during that time, we felt there was a need to bring project management up to a higher level. And we were focused initially on just our scientists and engineers, engineers, which makes up about 10,000 of the employees at Medtronic. And what we did is we created a grassroots effort with about five to eight people across the globe. And we decided, uh, actually back on a trip from uh, Shanghai, China, that we should do something more. We're, We're leaders at the company and we need to create a presence with project management. So we came up with this enhancing project management rigor for innovation. We've we've done training. We brought consultants in that have been past employees and consultants that have trained at Medtronic before. We've added them onto our our team, and um, it's it's been fantastic. We've had great results. For instance, one of the things that we're doing is we started core team leader training, and typically a core team leader, it's a term from... uh, the consulting company PRTM back in the 90s and a book called Pace, Product Acceleration Cycle Excellence by John McGrath. Um, we take the core team leaders and we put them through this training and it's it's multifaceted. It's uh, a part through Duke and strategy execution and then it's a part of leadership and then it's a part of project management. And we help develop that and bring that into the corporation. And we're actually, I'm glad to say, on our third cohort, this is a nominated 
process, and uh, we started R&D and operations and supply. Everyone wants in on this, and we only have so much to go around. But th those are the kind of things we're doing, bringing in training, bringing in expertise. Uh, we have a Medtronic information exchange called the Mix that we use. We do PM roundtables. We do a host of things, uh, I guess including even PMP certification. So it's, it's been great, and it's actually seen at the senior vice president level. And uh, they love what we're doing, and we hope one day that we'll actually get a shingle at Medtronic uh, at the corporation to be able to go across the company and, and have more influence. But for right now, it just goes to show you what you can do at a large company by starting a project and bringing the right people in and just taking that passion and creating great things with it. And I'd like to say, too, it's almost been four years that we've been putting this in place, and we continue to add to it, do different things, bring different people in. And we have a lot of passionate people, typically the younger people, but um, a lot of passionate people. So, uh, so it's, it's going great, and I hope it does even more great things in the future. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, one thing that jumps out to me, um, I had mentioned earlier that the judge for the Global PMO Awards, and part of that competition is kind of, if everybody can picture March Madness, we're in the month of March, and each country nominates a PMO to represent themselves. And then there's a competition to ultimately award the PMO of the year. Last year, the winner came out of Brazil. So you mentioned some great stuff, uh, Michael. I'm wondering if uh, maybe the Medtronic PMO there would be interested in trying to nominate themselves to represent the U.S. So that's a great segue. I actually uh, put uh, Medtronic in for that already and uh, a couple of the other ones. So uh, we've, we've got everything in, and we, I think we just said in our round two. So um uh, we are going to we are going to move forward with that. So thank you. Oh, fantastic! That's great to hear. I'll, I'll be judging, so I, I don't think I can judge your PMO because you can't judge your uh, PMOs from your home country. Now let's contrast that, James, with a little bit. Uh, that's big company world, right? Where you can put those programs in place. And uh, on the other end of the spectrum is a startup mindset of how do you execute and deliver with a smaller staff? How does startup project management work at, at your organization? Well, startup project management has a few other challenges here. And your question is about how do we deal with some of the large, some of our customers? And some of our customers have large, our large customers already have their PMOs. This is where we have to be agile because the executive sponsor for a lot of our projects are coming from our are coming from our customers, the sponsors. They have their programs, so we actually adapt with the small a agile and go with their programs. And then when we get that information, we then distill it and turn it into multiple projects on our side, so that we can have some communication within our side. So, where a large corporation is looking to have everyone on the same lexicon, everyone on the same definition, we are now working with each of the companies and saying, okay, how do you like to do it? Some like to use, still like to use Microsoft Project. That's fine. Some use uh, Team. Some use Jira. It's a whole slew of different tools. Uh, we all have down, and we break it down when it comes down to our side. We just look at the three basic components of each one of them. Mm -hmm. We look at, hey, what's the scope, the time, and the resources, and we just break it down to those three uh, component functions, because no matter which system you work on, they all eventually break down to those three. I know there's some variations on it. Scope gets broken down to regulatory, non-regulatory. Uh, we have resources breaking into fixed, non-fixed, non uh, time into fixed time, government time, 
especially when you start dealing with some of the government contracts, you know, some of the, the government agencies, they're going to get their tasks done in four months. Not going to get done in two months. They're not going to get done in six. Well, sometimes they will. There could be a government shutdown, which would make it eight. But <laughs> there are things that are in control and not, not in control. Uh, so we end up taking each one of the inputs that we get from the different groups that we're working with, and then we distill it down to those. And I'll tell you, I'm a Microsoft project guy, so that's okay. I can throw it all into project. And then we can look at those three items and measure it. So we're not looking at a PMO office from the perspective of, ah, let's keep everything the same within ours. Uh, we're looking at a PMO office and let's work with the customers with their, with their language, their lexicon, and then let's transfer it to us and to ours. Now we're a small company, so we have very simple control over it. It's only two or three people. Yeah. Uh, which does make it a little bit easier to, to manage. Ah, what's the, what are the words we're using? Uh, but now we have to look at an organic way to eventually grow. But for now, we have to just meet our current needs. So I'm interested, right? Obviously, a very long, distinguished career with Amex, right? Which is uh, kind of like what Michael's dealing with, you know, an 800-pound gorilla in the corporate world. And now into this startup mindset, uh, when I've talked with a lot of smaller startup owners, they say, hey, we can't afford the overhead of project management. It's, it's going to slow us down from being able to execute. You know, what, uh, what has your experience been now in the startup world, especially as you can contrast that to what you did at Amex? Oh, uh, it, you still are going to use the basic concepts of project management. Yes, you will probably not get the tool that has all the bells and whistles on it. Uh, but that's okay because you don't have all the best bells and whistles to manage. You have a smaller project, fewer resources, but not managing that throws you at high risk. And let's face it, as a small company compared to the larger companies, you're going to take more risks than the larger companies. Uh, but you still have to understand what your risk is. And that's what project management is really helping you do. Hey, this project's at risk. I may have to have more resources. I have to have more funds. I need to work with the executive sponsor earlier. If you don't do project management, if you're not following through, if you're looking at these things and you're just going to be caught by surprise, uh, that's surprise costs a lot. Yeah, it does. And there's a lot in the small world that's like, ah, don't worry. I'll handle the surprise when it shows up. Well, yes, there are going to be surprises, but let's, let's reduce the number of surprises we can actually control. So we use project management to try to control our number, our, our surprises so that we have regular updates on things like our government program office has, ah, we have these things going in. So I have a good set of what's going in and how much resources are needed for that. Uh, just a small company, my resources are going to be limited. So I mentioned that triangle before, scope, time, resources. Well, I'm resource constrained. Everyone is somewhat resource constrained. Compared to the large company, I'm much more resource constrained. But now that I, if I know that, I can now manage the risks associated with it. Yeah, and, and I love the, the ability to use the discipline of project management, maybe not with the rigor, but in order to be nimble, uh, contrast instead of agile, let's just say nimble, yeah. to help you execute. And Michael, I'm wondering, you know, from a mentoring standpoint within the larger corporations, you probably see this maybe with some of your younger project managers or maybe business side sponsors who aren't as familiar with the project management tools. You probably have to balance your mentorship skill of those people uh, to ensure that you're executing with your discipline 
but not being overhead and overburdened with them with the process. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and I will say with the tools, um, the fact that we don't have a shingle at corporate that goes over all the businesses, it, it makes it a little interesting. So some of the younger folks that are more savvy with uh, technology are bringing in other project management tools I've never even heard of. I just heard of one yesterday. That was the first time I ever heard of it. And, and our our uh, people in the Bakken Research Center in Maastricht, Netherlands, are bringing something new in. It, it's great, but again, the tool is a tool. And I like people to kind of step back and I try to mentor the younger people to say, hey, you know, what's a good charter? What's a good scope uh, document? And kind of focus more on the templates instead of the tool and how you do project management and how you can get success. And, and like James said with the risk piece, I think that's very important. How do you, how do you burn that risk out of there? Um, there's a lot to it. I mean, anyone can build a schedule. Anyone can use these tools. But then going to execute them and actually perform that work is a whole other set of skills and a whole other ball game. And when I take uh, young people under my wings, that's usually where they run into problems. It's it's not the tool. It's I got to deal with such and such stakeholder, or I can't. I don't think I can go two levels up and talk to that person because they're too high up. Those kind of things are conversations that I have all the time, and I I typically have people emailing me and and IMing me for these kind of things almost on a daily basis. Um, but the tool piece is interesting because it's getting a lot of uh, of time at work, and we typically use MS Project and then PPM. But there's a lot of other tools that people are using. Some are IT approved, some aren't, and that's not good. But sooner or later, they'll have to get that approved. But it's, it's interesting how some people just really gravitate towards the tool, and they think that tool is the solution. And if we can just get that tool and we can utilize that tool, everything will be great. And I think the other, the other thing with the COVID-19 that has changed just recently, um, since we have a lot of people in China and other places, is how do you get work done virtually now? So what tools are there for that? like Zoom or Skype or WebEx, and how do you even enhance that and use VR, AR type tools. So the tools are important, but when it really comes down to it, I feel people need to be trained in the skills of project management and how to actually get that work done and accomplish success. Yeah, and, I, and I've always, you know, we have a lot of guests on that talk about the people side of project management, uh, and we don't really always dig into the tools as much. And I think that's important to what you just said there, Michael. The reality is it's a person still using the tool. And if we don't have the people getting the mentorship, the education, the training they need, it doesn't really matter the tool. So, you know, we we get hung up on tools, but I always put that last, right? Give me the people first. Give me the best people to figure it out. And James, with your military background, and and obviously our connection with VPMMA, we, we love the military and support the military, but... You know, in the military, sometimes you're not given the tools to go execute. You're just given the the scope and the time frame of when it needs to get done and go get it done, and you rely on the people. Actually, we're just given the order. <laughs> not even given a scope. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go figure that out yourself. And, and a lot of it comes out into when you get to the people. Um, and I kind of like break up project management and leadership. Uh, these are the soft skills. What you know, the great project managers, yeah, they can build out a schedule and everything, but what makes them great uh, is their ability to lead in getting the task done and knowing how uh, to talk to the different resources, to the different groups, and how their engagement is. Uh, and this is actually one of my feedbacks for a lot of young project managers when they're starting off. But when you're starting off as a project manager, you probably don't have all these soft skills. You may have, you don't 
you may not be able to recognize the skill set of the resources you're using. And one of the things I always recommend is you would normally have a leader or manager, a director, a VP, or someone you can go to. Don't be afraid, especially when you're starting off, to ask them these things. Okay, I have these tasks assigned. Uh, I've assigned this programming to Sally. Sally does great, uh, but she's very experienced. You just give it to her. She'll get it done. That's great. Um, you know, I have Bob over here. Bob's new. Bob's just into the company. He's a just a college graduate. Well, Bob may need a little bit more direction. A lot of project managers, I see faults to, let's call it a leadership directive approach. I'm just going to follow up all the time and ping them, ping them, ping them, ping them. And again, probably not a bad default. Uh, but if you want to really be successful in working with the different individuals, uh, do work with your, your leadership, do work with your, your management team. They will assist you on that, and you'll find much greater success in doing so. So we talked about the, you know, we talked a little bit about the tools that gets pieces out assigned. And I know Michael brought up, hey, you're going to have a lot more remote people because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to have to manage them a little bit differently. This may be your first time doing it. If it's your first time doing it, get as much help as you can get, and you'll find yourself to be much more successful in doing so. Yeah, and, and Michael, I guess your experience, and again, just, let me just take a, a moment to share with some folks some of the acknowledgement and awards that Michael has received over the past few years. I'm sure he doesn't want to toot his own horn on this, but the uh, 2017 PMI Education Foundation Kersner Award winner in Excellence for Project Management and the 2019 Project Management Institute Education Foundation Community Advancement Through Project Management Award uh, with your partnership with the Sinai Foundation, if I'm pronouncing that correct. So obviously a lot of experience and a lot of acknowledgement for the work that you've done. How do you utilize those soft skills at the largest corporation for medical devices in the world? How do you, how do you make that work? Yeah, that's a, that's, so that's a great question again. Um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the mentoring that we touched on already. And we're able to cut across the whole organization uh, part of part of my um, my group is a is a group called the Knowledge Center. They do education, library type stuff, copyrights, training, and they can they can access half the company with an email blast. So we we utilize that to help get our message out, but also on the mentorship, and then also with experts. So here's the experts that you can go to. But I do find you have to you have to have a a passion for this number one, and then you have to ha- find people that have that like passion. Those are the easy people to mentor. The people that don't have a passion and they're trying to do things but just get through it, those are the ones that are difficult. And I have to say with our company, typically if you're a chemi, a emmy, a mechanical engineer, a chemical engineer, or electrical engineer, you typically are very smart and deep in what you do. And at some point, you get handed a project management role or a core team leader role, and they're, they're just like, here, go, go do it. Go be successful. And they are successful. But a lot of them don't understand project management, and we're trying to bring them up to speed and train them and get them to do things so they're more efficient and productive. But it is very difficult. But I think the things that we've been putting in place, the trainings, the ability to meet people, the roundtables, give them more information. I think a lot of it's around information and communication at the right time with the right group. So we look at not only PMI, we look at IPMA, the International Project Management Association, the Institute for Project Management, Association for Project Management. There's a lot of other 
memberships and things out there that can help people globally, not just in the U.S., but globally. So it, it really is a combination of a lot of things, and you have to have your finger on that pulse all the time. And I actually try to meet with the senior leaders and kind of get in front of them and talk about project management so I can get them more aware and get them more excited about it so that hopefully one day, we, like I said before, we can, we can have a shingle at the corporate level. Yeah, and, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but kind of stay on this, I guess. Is James, you had mentioned, obviously, you guys are working off your patent from the University of Arizona. The rival here in the Phoenix area, of course, is ASU, and ASU is hosting uh, the the premier Phoenix-based project management summit on April 20th. Uh, it's the ASU PM Network um, it's at a very affordable cost of $50 for an all-day conference. Uh, Ruth Pierce, who's been a guest on the show, will be the keynote speaker. And it's a collection of university system and the local business community coming together to advance project management. And, uh, and that came to mind as Michael was talking about all the different tools they use in their organization to bring together uh, the roundtables, et cetera, of getting the type of uh, mentoring and education. It's an ongoing effort, right? So with your work at that end of commercial for the ASU PM Summit, everybody go out there and register, please. But with your work with the university, how do you get from university patent to company to now potentially working with the government to assist with the coronavirus? Ah, very good question. And, uh, and by the way, uh, the University of Arizona, for those who are listening, uh, Tucson is a little bit further away. We are located in Phoenix. So in many cases, it is actually a remote location for a lot of our communications. Uh, we're also dealing with Wrestler Polytech, which is up located near Albany, New York, in hey, the city of Troy. That's where I'm from. <laughs> Small world. And our Air Force partner happens to be in Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So uh, we're already having to deal with, hey, we have a bunch of remote groups and when you're working with each group, you're finding on, oh, by the way, they have, again, a different lexicon, a different legal system. Contracts with each one of them are completely different. Uh, but our engagement is that we have to now work, ah, this is how I work with the University of Arizona. Uh, we work, we actually send someone down there. We actually have a couple of our team members down there today uh, working with the project. And, and how, do we, how do we begin that? So it began with getting the patent out of the University of Arizona. Again, this was a very unique patent. It was using something that had never been done in the world, which is, I'm going to get into a little science stuff. Hope everyone loves a little bit of science. You're going to say ramen. And I, when I'll I say first, ramen. When, when I, I first heard that, I thought we were having lunch. But oh, no. yes. Yeah, not the noodle. Not the, not the noodle. Uh, he won a Nobel Prize. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about the hydrogen lima alpha line. This will be everyone's little chemistry lesson for the day. Everyone remembers hydrogen, yeah. one, yeah. you know, in the nucleus, one proton, one electron. Well, when the one electron goes from one shell to the other shell, then it reduce, it produces what they call the hydrogen lima alpha line, around 122 nanometers, which, by the way, makes it the most abundant light source in the universe because every star, every sun out there is broadcasting the hydrogen lima alpha line because it's one hydrogen. Well... The problem with hydrogen lima alpha line is so basic and so core, so primal, that it gets absorbed by just about everything. So around, what, 130 years ago, uh, Victor Schumann was saying, hey, how come I see these wavelengths down in the X-ray region, and I see these wavelengths in the 
uh, UV region and above, but I have a blank spot. Well, he created a vacuum and identified, ah, these light only belong to the vacuum UV. Well, the University of Arizona said, wow, we found one of those, that 122. We can actually pull it out of the vacuum UV and use it in air. Wow, that's great, because if you're doing Robin, the whole math behind it lets you know the smaller the wavelength, the better the resolution you get. And the whole world stopped generally at around 220, though I believe the Raman spectrometer on the Mars uh, probe right now does it at 190 uh, nanometers. So we're going to do it at 122. So this is is great. This is wonderful. Uh, But now I've got to explain it to people. Why do I need this? Why do I need this Raman thing? I already have a noodle. I already have one. Uh, what, what, What can I do with that? So it takes, this is where you go into really somewhat a project. A project is called sales and getting out and contacting uh, the, the correct people. We also uh, worked with uh, AZ Bio. We brought it up with, with the group. Um, and then we started working with various accelerators. Uh, and we eventually got ourselves also into the Techstar accelerator for the Air Force. And we were able to explain to them and said, wow, that means you can get pathogens and other things that we can't get. Yes. And then we started talking about the, the coronavirus. The coronavirus is overly simplifying. It's a protein wrap with a bunch of RNA inside of it, i.e. molecules. I just need to know what those molecules are. And then if when the light hits it, I will get a signature off, off of that. Uh, but also, people, you're, I think I saw on the news today, they're saying, hey, the virus is already starting to mutate. Well, guess what? That's what viruses do. But so it will give a slightly different signature, but it will still give a primary signature. So other like unlike other systems which are reagent based, and they need that molecule and only that molecule. I just need a molecule, and I will get a signature. And once I start seeing a delta, we can already start explaining that. So it's explaining that story and how does it solve their problem? For the Air Force, the problem is they had unknown dangerous things in their environment. So we weren't selling ramen. We were selling, hey, we have a solution to your problem. Mm-hmm. You could identify the un- previously unidentified. Right. Uh, illuminate the unknown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Illuminate the That's unknown. That's a good catch line. There Let's, you go. I'm going to patent that one. Uh, it's pretty, <laughs> we already trademarked that. <laughs> uh, so we're illuminating the unknown. So it was going after, so I had all this great science. So then I had to turn it into how do I solve problems? And so, if you're looking at quality control systems, you're looking at uh, healthcare and the healthcare industry, what are the problems they have? And if I could identify molecules, the molecules that they're interested in, is that something that is value to them? And if it is, then let's create a project. Then, on the project management side, the most important thing is finding, as you get your sales, is the appropriate executive sponsor for that. And I was just trying to wrap everything back down or to project management. So you want to be successful. Okay, you've made the sale. You're going to work with this group. You're going to work with this government. Do you have an executive sponsor on their side that is going to support your project? And we go back to the tools and the communication. And this is where I go back to my side. It says, okay, how do they communicate their project status to them so that I can keep that executive sponsor engaged. I may not have direct connections to them. I may have to go through their program office to that. Sometimes I do have direct connections, but 
it comes down to, ah, I want to have the same piece of paper they have with their other 30 or 40 projects in front of them. Because one of the things, and this is when I find, again, I'm going to go back to my, my corporate side here. Uh, when you have an executive that has maybe 40, 100 projects, uh, giving pieces of paper with 40 different ways to interpret them sure. is going to take more time than they want to spend on it. Uh, but you want to keep the messages clear, concise, simple, so they can go through their projects, so they can do their prioritization. Uh, projects that are easier to prioritize are generally easier to keep funding and to keep working on. Well, and you're talking, obviously, project management is very steeped in leadership, right? And the ability to uh, obviously lead the project team, but also lead within your customers and universities or Air Force or government agencies. And uh, Michael, I know you're uh, very steeped in leadership lexicon and, and discussions around that. And I believe you've even uh, written some pages within Dr. Kersner's book on leadership. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. He just came out with a book in October of 2019 uh, called Innovation Project Management. So I have a couple pages in there. And yeah, I, I believe, as uh, James has said, that uh, leadership is important. And I think uh, this leadership and innovation project management, what Dr. Kersner is kind of coining as uh, project management 2.0 or 3.0, I can't remember what number, it's important. And it's more than just being a manager or supervisor. I think uh, leaders need to step up and create innovation and direction, you know, the vision and the strategies for others to follow. A project manager, a program manager, a PMO person, it isn't just a triangle anymore. It's, it's more than that. And it's, it's, things are moving quickly, just like the COVID-19. Things are happening fast. How do we adapt to those things? Leadership or the, in my company, it's so large, I don't have time to wait from the, the CEO all the way down to tell me what to do. I need to jump in and do that. And I think these are skills that uh, need to be applied to the workplace, and they need to they need to happen. And it's it's things that even like what is a person's MBTI? Is that does that play into what they're working on? How they do things? You know, people need to understand that whether it's MBTI, the Myers Briggs uh, indicator, or Strengths Finder, or whatever it might be. Those are indicators as to what kind of leaders and what kind of passions people have. So I think that's important. And I think. Um, you know, another area you need to be important with as a leader is it identifies the personal talent and, and what you want to do. And that's also important. You don't want to have people in roles or jobs, even as project managers, if they don't want to do project management. And I find at our company, a lot of times, I think some people are kind of moved into that role because they're a technical expert. So this innovation project management that Dr. Kersner is talking about, and I believe this is his second book. Um, I think he's on to something there. We don't have all the answers, but I know I've talked to Dr. Kersner a number of times via the phone, via email. I actually met him the first time in Dubai in 2017, so that's a crazy place to meet Dr. Kersner, but um, that's where I met him, and we talked for a couple hours on, on this topic, and that's how I got involved with the book. But I, I do think that leaders of today and the leaders of tomorrow are, are rapidly changing, and there's a new skill set, and there's new project management skills that are, are going to be needed. So we have to focus on that and train them and, and bring them up to speed. Yeah, and we were fortunate. Dr. Kersner had joined us as a guest on the show, I think it was last year, and talked a little bit about innovation, of course. And, and um, you know, I had asked him, I said, how do you define success on a project? Historically, it had been this golden triangle, right? Did we hit the scope? Did we hit that? And, and he boiled it down and said, that's how we used to think. The forward thinking has to be, did it deliver what our customer wanted? 
did we provide the business value? Um, and that's that shift in mindset, I think, of maybe if we want to call it old school project management versus the new school project management. It, yeah, there's one other comment I make. I think that's that's great insight. At Medtronic, we look at outcomes base for healthcare. It's not just anymore put the pacemaker in a patient and we walk away. We put the pacemaker in the patient and we stay with that patient forever in many cases. And what what is the outcomes that this patient is getting, not just the pacemaker. It's how is the pacemaker communicating? How is the pacemaker working? And, and I think that's our company's kind of pivoted and moved more towards that value-based healthcare, which is basically outcomes-based healthcare. So I think that's an important point about success. Success isn't just making a sale for us and putting it in a patient. It's making that sale, putting it in a patient, and then following it and helping that patient. And, and both of you, obviously, very long, distinguished careers, and we're on leadership. But a lot of our listeners are people listening because they're just getting into project management, and maybe they're listening to you guys to get some wisdom of how to help grow their career. So, James, we'll start with you, but we'll come back to Michael and to say, what's some kind of on-air mentoring, right? Some wisdom that we can share with listeners who maybe don't have a long career yet of how do I become a leader? How do, if I'm just starting, how do is leadership based on tenure or is leadership based on something else? Uh, le- le- leadership, your question is about leadership and project management. And what, what do I say? What words of, of, of wisdom uh, do, I, do I bring in to someone that's just starting off? You have your first project. Yay. Good job. There are all sorts of different leadership styles. I, I will refer to this and let's just go the situational leadership. Sure. And you're, you're just starting off. You're very excited, but you're just inexperienced. It's a new company. You have new tools. You have a new team to work with. You're going to need help. Uh, you're going to have to find a way. And if your leader doesn't provide this, you're going to have to find a way to your, for yourself to make a list of what you need to do. You have to become directive to yourself. Mm, if I you like don't that. have... Uh, a leader that's going to be directive for you, you have to recognize, hey, this is my first time doing this. And whenever you're doing something for the first time, I recommend this to everyone. Uh, be directive to yourself. Yes, it would, it's great to be able to, to go to your leader, to your manager. Sometimes you can, sometimes they're just overwhelmed. You may have the lowest project on the, pri- on the priority list. Mm-hmm. And so you're just not going to get as much time. So you have to learn what you need to do yourself. So the first thing I tell people to do is when you're starting off new in, the, in any field, and in project management we're talking about particularly here, become directive yourself. Start directing yourself and make yourself a lot of the small tasks and goals, the things that you need to do on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, uh, whatever level you need to make yourself feel comfortable and learning. Uh, you will progress through the, through the leadership cycle. Again, I'm going to stick toward, towards situational leadership. You will progress through that. So you won't need to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. But initially, it's a great start to become directive to yourself, assign yourself your tasks, and track them and track them down. And if you need help, again, don't be afraid to go ask. There's lots of help out there. And if you need education, there are a lot of great books and great things to go out there and learn to incorporate. We just went through one of the new books, and I'd recommend everyone to go read it. Uh, uh, and we also talked about the other things, uh, Strength Finders. Yeah. And I have given Strength Finders out 
to many uh, people starting off new. And it's for two purposes. One, it's to identify their own strengths. Uh, but it's also to identify what their team's strengths are. Because one of the things that I see that the project manager and people get focused on is things that are fun for them are fun for everyone. Sure. That's not true. That's right. And by the way, this is, I think, the way, the way engineers get pulled into project management. Why? Because a project manager thinks project management's fun. Hey, the engineer's smart. He'll probably think it's fun, too. Well, probably not. Yeah. So the book does a good job not only explaining strengths, but also explaining, hey, the, these are the strengths of, the, of your team. Do that. Uh, so my favorite thing, analogy for that. Uh, Randy Johnson used to pitch for the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Really good pitcher. Batting, not so weak. Base running, not so weak. Not, not so strong. Matter of fact, there's a big picture of him falling down as he rounded one of the bases at one time. Uh, but he's a member of the team. If you assign him pitching duties, the team does great. Are you going to put him in to clean up the bat and improve his batting? Probably not the best use of his talent. So understanding the, ta- the talent and what the other people's strengths are really helps out a lot. And that helps with understanding your own strengths first. Yeah, I love that. And uh, it kind of a parallel to strength finders or an alternative to strength finders, but along the same lines, uh, great book, The Project Motivator by Ruth Pierce. Highly recommend uh, that book. One of my favorites from last year. Um, and again, plug to the ASU PM Summit. She'll be the keynote speaker coming up on April 19th. But that book is just a great read to help you understand the strengths of your team because it isn't just about your strengths. I totally agree with that, James. And it's only $50 to attend that event, correct? Yes, that's correct. Thanks. Thank you for the additional plug. You're welcome. You know, people may not, by the way, did you tell how people could go sign up? I don't think I heard the yes. website. Well, uh, it's a very long ASU University website, so we'll have that on the show summary page where you can go out there and uh, hit that link. And then, Michael, let's go back to you, though, with that same topic on leadership, some words of wisdom for those junior project managers out there to help them understand how to make that transition from project manager to leader. So I, I agree with everything James had to say. I, I would I would add on that um, I think as far as to become a better leader, I think a lot of it deals with continuous learning. And I can say that because that's my top strength finder. But um, continuous learning, I think, is really important, especially nowadays. It's not just good enough to become a PMP or get your project management training, things are constantly adapting, things are constantly changing. Um, There's agile now, there's all kinds of things that you need to be aware of and learn. So I do think continuous learning is something that people need to be aware of. I also think for young people, another way they can get involved is volunteer. Volunteer at your local PMI chapter or, or school or whatever it is around project management. Get involved, go to the conferences like you just talked about and seek, seek out people, seek out the, the Kersners and the, and the gurus and, and have a chat with them. Most people, like any industry, are willing to give their time and their, their talents, uh, at least in a conversation, and, and that can be a great resource for you in the future. But I also think the other thing, especially at a large company like mine, and something that I've stressed upon uh, all new um, project managers, and I'll call them leaders, is connecting, networking, and collaborating. I think without that, you can be the best project manager. You're not going to get anywhere, at least at a large company. I would, I would say at a small company, too, but I think you're forced to know a lot of people in a small company. 
But I think that's that's where you need to spend some time and kind of figure out who are, who are my advocates, who are the people I need to know, who are the stakeholders, and how well do I know them if there's a problem with the project or I need to get something approved. If I pick up the phone or send an email, will they know who I am? And in a, in a company of, of at Medtronic of 90,000 people, you need to be pretty connected. That's that's kind of part of the job. So I would say that that's, that's very uh, germane to being a leader. And, and then I think working on your personal brand. What is it as a leader that you want to be known for? What is your brand? I think James alluded to this a little bit, kind of with the strengths finder. What are the things that make you tick? So what would that brand be? And how do you bring that to work every day? How do you show up? And how do you apply that to project management? So I think that's important. So I do try to mentor and, and give people that input and try to get them thinking that way. And, and that usually helps them uh, at least get the foot forward and, and, and see how they want to how they want to uh, adapt to those things. And, and one thing I'd like to add on uh, being here in, in studio is one thing that this is more for the, for the smaller companies. Uh, working inside of an incubator in a shared, shared workspace is one of those things where you can get into and still have people to talk to on a regular basis. Uh, we work at the Center of Entrepreneurial Integ- uh, Integration here down at Gateway Community College. That's been a great sort of resource, uh, CEI. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking around the, the, the floors at other common workspaces. So when you're a small business, it's really easy to get, you know, just in your own little world. Uh, find a way to expand your world. Uh, find a shared workspace. Uh, find an incubator program. Uh, this way you can go out and start getting some of those experiences. And I'll admit, you're going to get them for a lot cheaper just by going to the shared workspaces because everyone goes to the same coffee pot, yeah, same watering hole. So it's an opportunity to start expanding that. So for the small business owners out there, for the people going into small business, you know, here's a good way of getting some of that, getting some of that experience um, at, a, at an affordable rate with other people who want to also gain that same experience. And I will take that one step further, if I if I may. I think uh, you know, like LinkedIn is a great place to go seek out people and seek out expertise. And so, for people that are remote that don't have that water cooler or those those people by by face to face, LinkedIn has has been a great resource for me. And I've met some wonderful people on there and some great discussions on there. So that's a great tool that I think young leaders can utilize. And mostly, young leaders are on LinkedIn. So I think that's something people should be aware of. Yeah, and I'll make a little shameless plug here for project management office hours, right? I mean, the reality is, Michael, you just mentioned you reached out to me on LinkedIn, um, and now you're a guest on the show. But we've had Dr. Kersner, Belinda Goodrich, Dana Brownlee, Ruth Pierce. And again, I'm, we've had 50 shows worth of over 100 guests on here that is low-cost access to leaders in the world. We've had guests from Australia, guests from Germany, guests from the UK, Canada, Honduras, and others. And, and we're not the only podcast out there doing that, right? There's others as well. But it's that continuous learning and the desire to take in information and have access to people. In today's modern world, we talk about remote workforces. Well, the reality is my audience is 100% remote, and they have access to the show and all of the great leaders with the insights that you're providing. So everybody go on out to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcasts, Google, and others, subscribe and uh, let us know how you like the show. Back to the show, though. Uh, shameless plug number two, taken care of for the day. This has been great for my own internal commercials. I love it. Uh, Michael, I want to touch one on one other thing you mentioned. And with larger companies such as Medtronics, right, there's EPMOs, 
Uh, and then smaller organizations or mid-sized companies, usually it's more of a functional-based PMO. So how is the EPMO important with Medtronics and, and what does, how does that play into your organization? Yeah, thank you. It's, it's somewhat of a newer term. Our IT group has an EPMO VP and they have a pretty well-established EPMO. But how I got integrated with the EPMO is through a, a new directive in Europe called the European Medical Device Regulation or the EUMDR and it's also uh, a, a IVDR, the Diagnostic Regulation. This started in 2016, and what was really unique at Medtronic is the senior leader for quality and regulatory, she was the one that said we should start an EPMO, and then I was the first employee since my passion around project management to start that EPMO, and, and basically at our company, we're, we're segmented into four business groups. Underneath those business groups are 18 business units, so I was looking to bring those 18 business units underneath the EPMO, and at the same time, we had just purchased Covidian, so those people weren't on the IT system. So I used LinkedIn and Box to uh, communicate and figure out who the people were, and a little bit of cold calling, a little bit of, uh, I'm not the person you need to talk to so-and-so. But um, having that EPMO gave us the ability to go across this large company now, meet the correct people, put in a, a playbook with one source of truth, get the right senior leaders and stakeholders involved. We also created a, a war room with uh, four walls of uh, fuzz paint, which you can write on like a whiteboard. We did some kind of innovative low-tech things and uh, some innovative communication uh, uh, things like meeting with the senior leadership of operations R&D on, on a cadence. But basically, we pulled this together really quick and we were successful in getting things together and getting what's uh, basically the CEO needed by having the EPMO. If we weren't, if we had not done that that way, we could be talking right now, and it could be a different situation. And right now, things are going well for that EPMO and the UMDR. So I'd like to think that that was a, a good thing that we put in place and a good way of bringing this large corporation and a new acquisition into a, a system that we needed to get um, some really tough decisions and some tough numbers and pull things together very quickly. So it worked very well, and that was actually my first introduction into an EPMO, and I would say it went very well and, and was successful. Yeah, that's a fantastic experience to share with us. I really appreciate that. And I know certainly every company is going to be different, and the way they structure their EPMO is different, but the way you laid out the need for Medtronics, uh, right, with the... The PMO squad, we always talk about purpose-driven PMO. And if we don't understand the purpose, we're not going to be successful. So it was very well understood the purpose there at Medtronic. So that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. You know, I want to take one step back to when we were talking about tools. We were really talking about project management tools. And James, I want to hit on one item with you about uh, tools in the the. Uh, professional development toolbox that we have and how you've been able to utilize Six Sigma knowledge of ITAR, knowledge of ISO to come into an organization and be successful. And those aren't Microsoft Project or, or uh, you know, some other PPM that we're talking about. Those are tools in your personal toolbox. How do you leverage those skills to help you now be a leader within your current organization? Well, a lot of those things that we're talking about, ITAR, uh, the, the ISO 1345, uh, ITIL, ITSM. Uh, what they actually also break down to is a common lexicon that you can speak to within that group. 
And one of the, the things, especially when you did the ISO 1345, the FDA, uh, CE mark, and project managers, is one of the words that always came up was risk. Mm-hmm. And Michael can, can, can also uh, speak, speak to this. When you're speaking about project, there's project risks, there's business risks, there's health risks. Uh, you know, like, as like Medtronics is concerned with not just the fact that they put in a pacemaker, but you know, the quality of life of the patient and so forth. And so when you use the word risk and you have a doctor on your project, uh, they're, they're not thinking that we're talking about risk to timeline, risk to scope. Right. And so, uh, Understanding each one of these, each one of these now helps me that when I'm with a different audience, I know when to use the word risk, when to add on the adjective beforehand. I'm talking about health risk. I'm talking about risk to the patient. I'm talking about timeline risk, scope risk, uh, business risk, and so each one of these things has helped me with my own lexicon. In as many ways, learning a new language, mm. I can now start and talk to a whole new community just because I understand the words and the, and the tone they're using. Also, by understanding that, I understand, as, as uh, you had pointed out, what does the customer want? What does the standard want? ISO 1345, FDA, CE mark, these things, uh, even in the financial world, there are very strict standards that there are things that they want, they have to see. And project management, you maybe call these uh, the solid, the, the required requirements, mm-hmm. you know, these are the ones you have to do. These are the have-to-do ones. Yeah. At least now you understand what the have-to-dos are so you can put it down. Also, whenever you write up your project plan, your assumptions are much better stated and much clearly stated across to the audience. So each one of these is almost turned into a new language. So when I go talk to a new group of people, I can now start and talk the same, the same language. Before, when you went to go talk to them, it was like, Hey, I'm talking about risk, and they're like, "No, you're not." Right. And now, now I understand that. So, ah, now I can get in and have the right language. And if you can communicate better, it's much easier to lead because now there's less confusion. Well, and I think the this ties into almost everything we've talked about today: that continuous learning, different tools to be a well-rounded project manager. It's not just knowing project management; it's creating a set of leadership tools and capabilities so that you can have discussions with everybody within the business, right? And that's what a project for, right? It's not just the project manager. It's, it's about the value, the outcome, as Michael mentioned, that we're looking for within the business and having a toolbox to carry all of those different skills. So all of our project managers out there, right, listening in today, remember it's, it's becoming a well-rounded leader that's important to everybody and not just project management skills. Well, we are amazingly uh, at the end of our time today, and I want to thank, obviously, Michael and James for joining us, but also give you one last opportunity to touch on anything that we may not have gotten to today, but and give folks an opportunity to learn how they can get in touch with you if they want to connect after the show. So, Michael, we'll start with you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, I'm more than glad to connect on LinkedIn. So, Michael O'Connor, O-C-O-N-N-O-R. And uh, I'm the one that works at Medtronic, so you should be able to find me that way. The other thing I'd like to say is we talked about education, and I went to the University of Maryland uh, College Park, and they have started something with the uh, EDEX folks with the massive open online courses or MOOCs. 
And I believe in just a couple of years, they've uh, enrolled around 90,000 students in 177 countries, and they're going to add more and more courses in project management. So keep an eye out for the University of Maryland and their partnership with edicts. And I think you'll see a lot of courses out there for free that'll be very entertaining and very useful. Thanks so much for that tip. Uh, obviously, Michael, I wasn't aware of that, so that's always great information to have. And, of course, thank you for uh, joining me on the show today. And, James, uh, you as well. All right. Uh, you can also find myself on LinkedIn, though I am LinkedIn as Jim Foley, so you have to look up under Jim. Uh, if you want to email me, james.foley at bsol.io. And we don't have as large of a website as Medtronic's, but botanisolanalytics.com will get to us. Well, thanks so much for joining. And, and again, just a compare and contrast, right? We talk about the big company today and small companies. Uh, depending on which statistics you look at, 98.2 or so percent of the companies in America have 100 or fewer employees. So the majority, the great majority of the organizations out there have to find out how to use project management in a way that's nimble, lowercase a, agile, to help them be successful. So that's one another reason why we do this show, to give people access to these tools and these great leaders that we had on today and other guests to make sure that they're having access to be able to have continuous improvement in their life. So thank you, uh, both James and Michael. And of course, thank you to our listeners. A reminder that all of our shows are being recorded. So please be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, or whatever your podcast platform of choice is. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Uh, go out to www.thepmosquad.com. Learn about all the different services they offer, including the purpose-driven PMO and PMO as a service. So that is it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.